I'm Martha McCallum. I'm Bill Hemmer. I'm Shannon Bream, and this is the Fox News Rundown. Friday, September 18th, 2020. I'm Trey Inks. Israel entered a three-week lockdown, the first country in the world to re-enter a full shutdown. One of the problems is that most people just don't know what exactly the rules are during this second lockdown, and the government has has really not communicated them well. And that's that the question marks about, well, well, can I visit a relative or can't I? If I'm single, can I have someone come to my house for the holidays? This is the Fox News Rundown, global pandemic. The Israeli public is confused about the new lockdown restrictions as the government carved out major exceptions for different parts of the population. Over the next few minutes, you'll get the latest headlines on the global COVID-19 outbreak and hear from author and journalist Seth Fransman, starting first in Egypt that has seen more than 100,000 cases of COVID-19. While the first wave was largely beaten in the country, more than 140 new cases were reported yesterday. Egyptian authorities have been accused of misleading the public on true COVID-19 numbers and even arresting doctors and journalists who try to hold officials accountable. Now to India, that saw more than 96,000 new cases of coronavirus over the past 24 hours. Indian officials have lost control of the outbreak in much of the country. In total, India has seen more than 5 million cases. Finally, in Israel, residents began to celebrate Rosh Hashanah this evening, the Jewish New Year. A three-week lockdown went into effect this afternoon as new coronavirus cases continue to rise. The country saw nearly 6,000 new cases yesterday. So what will things look like in Israel over the coming days and weeks? I think basically, you know, Israel had one of the harsher lockdowns in the world when it first decided to do that. This is author and journalist Seth Fransman. And that meant you basically couldn't really leave. I mean, you could leave your house, but not within more more than like 100 meters or so. The country was really a ghost town. And then, you know, very quickly they decided to open everything up. And Israel is a bit of an island in a sense, because there's not much travel over the international borders with Egypt and Jordan, and there's not many people coming from abroad. So it's a kind of island, a bit like you could say you compare it to New Zealand or something in a sense, because it's not like an American state or like a European country. But I think what happened is they decided that basically the economy was a lot more important than, um, you know, whether or not no one would get the virus. And I think they felt that they had a very, very low um, death rate, as, as macabre as that sounds, from the virus. And so they took the risk of saying, well, let's just kind of go back to normal. And then the schools were open and everything here was basically fine. But then within, I think, about two months' time, from, say, late May, June, July, numbers began to rise, and then they just began to rise significantly, say, in the last month or so. So, like, August to September, they got to be about 5,000 cases a day, which per capita is the the highest in the world. Although, as I said, the death rate um, is, is actually not the highest. It's much, 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 much lower compared to most European countries and many other countries. Yeah, significant numbers in Israel, and there's a lot of confusion, it seems, about this second lockdown. We know that there's the rule of having a 500-meter radius from your residence and limiting public gatherings and the like, but there are a number of exceptions in this new lockdown, some of them controversial. Can you talk about what this lockdown looks like and if you think it will be successful? Well, I think basically the pro- one of the problems is that most people just don't know what exactly the rules are during this second lockdown. And the government has, 
has really not communicated them well, and that's part of the problem with the government, which is it's a big unity government with a huge number of different ministers, and even though it ostensibly has a kind of coronavirus czar, I think it has had so much infighting that the question marks about, well, well, can I visit a relative or can't I? If I'm single, can I have someone come to my house for the holidays, which is there about to be Rosh Hashanah? The thing about the next three weeks, the ho- this lockdown coincides directly with a bunch of Jewish holidays. So basically, it's interesting, the next three weeks would have basically meant people were going to be off work for almost two weeks in the end of those weeks anyway. So now they're basically going to be at home. But yeah, there are a lot of question marks. Can you go to the beach? Uh, can you go in the water if you live near the beach? Um, and as you said, it's 500 meters, which isn't, a, which isn't 100 meters, which basically means, I think, it looks like it's going to be a lot more flexibility in terms of, you know, if someone says, well, wait, I, I'm actually traveling to this place to buy something to build my sukkah for Sukkot. And there are a lot of exceptions built in. So that means I think there's a lot of ways people can say, well, no, I, I'm just going to the store, you know, it's okay. Obviously, people can use parks because usually you're going to have a park within one kilometer of your house. So I think that that's that's a lot of the question marks. I think there's going to be a lot of um, incidents then in the next, in the first week of this, seeing as people test the boundaries, and we're not. It's not clear yet if there's going to be police and soldiers and stuff out there giving harsh tickets. Um, so I think that's basically we have to see how it works out. And I think the government has just done a very very bad job in terms of communicating to the to the citizens exactly what's going to happen. And I think they're gambling on the fact that basically people, because the country's used to having national emergencies like war, but about 50% of the people will kind of abide by the guidelines, and then, you know, 30% basically won't. And that whole, because it's a numbers game, the idea is, yeah, we just want to get the numbers down. Because, okay, fine, 20% don't abide by it. It's okay. We get the numbers down in some areas, and we get back to where we want to be. You've been listening to author and journalist Seth Francman. We'll be right back. You bring up the concept of using the army. During the first lockdown, we saw this partnership between the police and the army where there were members of the Israeli Defense Forces in the streets, but they weren't armed. They were basically assisting with police efforts, but it wasn't sort of like a lockdown that we saw in neighboring Jordan where the army was actually really directly participating in the enforcement. And Israel has paid a price from the miscommunication from the government and also having a population that doesn't fully get on board. Earlier this week on the podcast, we interviewed a doctor from Japan, and he talked about how culturally the Japanese basically hold each other accountable and that all of the initiatives that were put forth by the government in terms of mask wearing and these mandates about social distancing all were voluntary. They actually weren't being enforced legally. There weren't tickets being given out, and people adhered to them. It's a different situation in Israel and makes the enforcement and the cooperation efforts that much more difficult. And I think that that's where it's rightly going to become this really mess. And and as you noted, you could have a percentage of the population that's participating, and that will be enough to get the numbers down. Right. I mean, the thing about Israel is the army here is not a coercive structure. I mean, the police here are not either. I mean, you know, you look at the comparison, for instance, to American police, uh, you see these more militarized police confronting rioters and things. And Israel doesn't really have that. I mean, the, the army is basically everyone's kids are in the army. So the idea that the army would be out there, you know, forcing people into their homes and giving 
tickets or beating people with truncheons is just unheard of. The army is there mostly to assist people and to have some sort of a presence. And in general, you know, using the army in that way, I think, is, is what it's for. Israel has a, what's called a home front command, which is a huge number of people that are basically there to provide assistance during emergencies like an earthquake or something like that or during rocket fire. And so now they're just deploy to deal with this. I think that in general, you know, there hasn't been a a huge amount of protests against these kind of measures. And in fact, the nice thing about this lockdown is that protesting is permitted. So we don't have that. What I think you have in Israel is, as you compare it with Japan, Israel is not a homogenous society in which everyone just basically does follow orders. Israel is very good at dealing with national emergencies. But people also want life to go back to normal. So that means that they will always find ways around rules. But for instance, you see widespread mask wearing in Israel. What you see is widespread people wearing them just sometimes incorrectly, for instance, but they do wear them. So I think that that's kind of what you get with Israel, which is a bit of a mixed bag. People kind of obey things, but they find little ways of getting around things, like relatives going to each other's houses they're not supposed to or something. But what you don't see is mass is civil unrest. And the country, I think, also is very careful not to push too hard, because there are communities in this country, for instance, the ultra-Orthodox or the Arab minority population, which there is a sense that large parts of towns or villages that are where those people live are a bit outside of the control in terms of using the police and things like that, or even the army to deal with those communities. And so that's why there's a bit of like, well, let's be, a, we don't want to push too hard because there will be pushback, so let's just hope for the best. And I think that's kind of how the country has muddled through this, which, you know, isn't always perfect. It means you don't have numbers like New Zealand, but it also means you don't have social unrest, and no one wants to see to see that. I think that that's very important for Israel and certainly for the for the leadership of this country, even if it is a bit chaotic. Before I let you go, while I have you on the line, I want to ask you about the current geopolitical situation in the region and what your take is on the situation in places that border Israel, because amid this internal emergency, the COVID-19 outbreak. There are also some, some significant developments in places like Lebanon following the explosion last month and also Gaza just this week with rocket fire into Israel. Where do you think things are headed in the next few weeks and where should listeners keep an eye on? Well, it's interesting. In, in Lebanon, there was the tensions with Hezbollah from July up until August, but then because of this massive explosion, Hezbollah is focused elsewhere in terms of government formation. Now, I would therefore predict that we won't see uh, much tensions in the north. I do think with Hamas and Palestinians, during the high holidays, you always have tensions anyway that somehow come along with them. And I think that the recent peace deal with Israel and Bahrain and the UAE means that we will see perhaps attempts to sabotage that somehow with a little bit more rocket fire, some, maybe even something from Syria, which would be an attack, for instance, ordered by Iran. But in the past, those kind of attacks have been so small that, you know, usually they've been intercepted, and it's a bit symbolic. So I think, I mean, I would hope that we would not see some huge conflagration take place in which uh, people would be killed. But it may be that there will be symbolic attacks or... You know, there have been an uptick in attempted terrorist attacks, people caught with weapons or IEDs or guns trying to sneak into Israel, and I think that's a high possibility. But, you know, Israel has very, very good security forces and some of the best intelligence in the world in terms of multi-layered, you know, high-level uh, intelligence and, and listening and all that kind of stuff. So 
I think that Israel will certainly do its best, as it has done over the last years, to keep things very quiet and and anticipate whatever whatever thing might happen, whether it's Gaza or from Sinai or even the Golan border or something like that. Always appreciate your perspective on these topics and everything related to the region. Author and journalist Seth Fransman. Seth, thank you again for your time. Thank you. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. Rundown. Stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, Fox News contributor and editor of the Transom.com daily newsletter. And I'm inviting you to join a conversation every week. It's the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.